Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to be speaking today on the uh, subject of uh, Palm Sunday. And we're going to specifically be talking about Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. And I'm going to read again in, um, from God's Word's translation. I'm going to start with verse 1 of Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to read from verse 1 through verse 17. When they came near to Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage, or Bethany really. You like that city? <laughs> it's a good city. It's a good city. <laughs> On the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples ahead of him. And he said to them, go into the village ahead of you. You will find a donkey tied there and a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them. And that person will send them at once. I'm going to pause for just a second to say like, Jesus did not like go and arrange this ahead of time. <laughs> There's something, uh, operation of the Holy Spirit called the word of wisdom, which actually tells you about future events and future things that will happen. And uh, Jesus had this Holy Spirit without measure. And he was perfect in every way. So I think he was well able to yield to the Spirit of God. So <laughs> untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, tell them, uh, what are you doing basically? <laughs> tell them that the Lord needs them. That person will send them at once. This happened so that the prophet, what the prophet had said would come true. That's this. Tell the people of Zion, your king is coming to you. He's gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, a young pack animal. Well, you know, in that day, when kings would come and they came to conquer or they came for war, they would come on a horse. But when a king wanted to come and he wanted those that saw him to know he was coming in peace, he would come on a donkey. So Jesus is riding in on a donkey as the prince of peace. It was prophesied the prince of peace and it was prophesied that he would come on this donkey. So verse 5 is actually quoting from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. The disciples, verse 6, did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their coats on them for Jesus to sit on. Most of the people spread their coats on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and that followed him was shouting. They weren't just saying like, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were shouting. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar. Peter, were, Peter, people were asking, <laughs> who is this? The crowd answered, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus went into the temple courtyard and threw out everyone who was buying and selling there. He overturned the money changers' tables and the chairs of those who sold pigeons. He told them, Scripture says, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you're turning it into a gathering place of thieves. Blind and lame people came to him in the temple courtyard, and he healed them. 
when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing miracles he performed, and listen to this. This is one of my favorite parts. And the children shouting in the temple courtyard, Hosanna to the son of David. They were irritated. It seems that children irritate religious people. And he, because remember the disciples, you know, the, he's like, don't forbid the children. They're like, you're just a child. Don't come to Jesus. You can't come to Jesus. He, he is more important than that. Do you know, and I, I'm thankful, I don't know who it was. Because I'm sure they were well-meaning. And, and, you know, whatever. But uh, when I was a young man, I must have been probably 11 or 12 years old, I'm guessing. And I, I was born again at four years old, and then I, you know, was also growing up in the church there. And uh, at the church I was at, I was talking to an adult about telling people about Jesus. And this adult said to me, you're too young for that. You don't need to be doing that. And I thought, you know, now I think back, because I was like, oh, okay, it was an adult. You know, but in other words, that mentality, that religious mentality, get, get off on the disciples. Obviously, the Pharisees had it because they had, you know, they were against Christ. Yeah. At least the disciples, they weren't born again at that point, but they were going with Christ. You know, they're like, I'm leaving everything to follow you, right? You know, they weren't born again until he breathed on them. But, um, and so when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing miracles that Jesus performed and the children shouting in the temple courtyard, Hosanna to the son of David, they were irritated. They said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus replied, yes, I do. <laughs> have you never read from the mouths of little children and infants you have created praise? He left them and went out of the city of Bethany and spent the night there. Now this, this is, uh, you know, such an amazing happening that um, I did a little research on it and William Barclay wrote about it. And uh, he, he, William Barclay is a really good one for understanding like the life and times. Uh, understanding like what the culture was like and, and all those type of things. So here's, here's some things that he said. He said, during this passage of scripture, it was the Passover time in Jerusalem and the whole surrounding neighborhood was crowded with pilgrims, people that would come back to the city of Jerusalem for the Passover feast because the Passover feast was the greatest feast of the year. And it was the feast that uh, most people looked forward to. He said, 30 years after this, after Christ's triumphal entry, 30 years after this, that the Roman governor took a census in Jerusalem of how many lambs were slaughtered during the Passover. Mm. Anybody want to guess how many it was? 250,000 lambs. 250,000 lambs. And you know what else? The, the law of the land was in order for a lamb to be slaughtered for the Passover, you had to have 10 people, a minimum of 10 people, that, were represent, that that lamb represented. So there were a minimum of 2.5 million people in the city of Jerusalem. 
And so the Passover feast, because they had a lot of feasts, right? So the Passover feast being the greatest of those feasts that everyone would really look forward to, you can imagine. I mean, uh, you know, we don't really have the feasts, but, you know, if you go uh, different places, we went to Bible school in Oklahoma, so they have homecoming there. So when we go back from homecoming, everybody is, has so much expectation. Uh, same thing, I'm sure, in Colorado and different schools that you go to in uh, uh, Texas for uh, Christ for the Nations. You've got, like, a great excitement when everybody comes back together. And so this is the atmosphere that Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem with all of these people from out of town, all the people that are there, all the sacrifices, all the joy. You know, and imagine how many children were in the temple courts yeah. <laughs> just running and praising. And then, uh, you know, I found this out because you asked on Wednesday night. And um, so when I was uh, looking at this after that, then... Um, you know, where Jesus went and drove out the, sell, the people that were selling pigeons and the money changers, that was not in the Holy of Holies. That was not in the most holy place. It was actually in what's called, it was not in the court of uh, the women. It was further out. It was the furthest out you can get without being just in the temple courts. It was in the court of the Gentiles. So the courts of the Gentiles, you could go in, well, we're Christians now, we're Jew on the inside, so we go in the Holy of Holies. I mean, we have the Holy of Holies on the inside of us. Anyhow. If you're not a Christian yet and you're Jewish, it's okay. Uh, I'm not trying to offend anybody, just telling the truth. Okay, so, but before you were a Christian, you could go into the court of the Gentiles. And this is where all the money changers were and everything. And what they're doing is, you know, they're having dishonest, they're trying to make a gain off of people's worship. They're using it as a, a means of financial gain. Uh, in the modern world, you'd say like they've turned a nonprofit into a for-profit. Right? They're trying to like, and by not only that, they're doing it dishonestly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're making it because why? Well, you had to have like a perfect lamb, which is not always easy to come by. I don't know the status of it, but you know they've been looking for a red heifer over in Israel for a long time. And I read a year, maybe somebody knows the status, but a year and a half ago, it's still there, right? Yeah. So about a year and a half, two years ago, the Temple Institute actually got a perfect red heifer. And that means that its hair or fur, whatever you call it in a cow, <laughs> they were all red. Not one white one, not one black one, no blemish, nothing. So when this thing was born, they, they, they bred it. They tried to breed this because once they do this, then they can rebuild their temple and, and you know all of that, right? So... Um, they purpose, they, they've been trying this for years and years and years, obviously. Um, and, um, I don't want to get into all that. So, <laughs> so when it was born, everyone, uh, especially Temple Institute, they want to know, like, okay, is there anything? So they're inspecting this to see if there's any blemishes, anything, because they can only sacrifice the perfect one. So people coming into the temple, well, uh, your, yours is not perfect, but ours is perfect. You just give me some money, and I'll give you a perfect lamb, and you can do your sacrifice. And so they are like, really, uh, you can understand why the Lord was angry. And your anger do not sin. And so you know, we know that every act that Jesus did was an act of love. So uh, if your idea of the love of God is just some ooey-gooey, soft, tender thing, you have another thing coming because 
you know, if you got someone that's strung out on drugs, your friend, and they're telling you in order to love me, give me more drugs, that is not love. And so just because someone uh, is begging you to do something with them, you feel like you have to do something with everybody that comes along, you're not even led by the Spirit of God, you're led by need. That's not Bible. Now, thank God, we're blessed and we can help those in need. But we're not to be led by that. Because you spend your whole life and get out of the will of God just because there is no lack of need anywhere. God is not moved by need. God is moved by faith. I'll change the little phrase that a lot of us know. Just to tweak it just a little bit. God will pass over a thousand needs just to get to one person that's trusting him. Doesn't God care? Oh, more than you could ever care. He actually made a way through Jesus Christ. He put authority in our hands. All right. So it's Passover. So 250 million people in Jerusalem. So all these people, they're all keyed up. And they're looking for this. And then all of a sudden, you know, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. So uh, right there. And so when he raised Lazarus from the dead, you know, you start raising people from the dead and word gets out. Like he was dead for four days. You know, he was stinking. I love King James for some things, you know. By now he sticketh. Yeah. So we have four little children. And so that'll be a phrase around our house sometimes if they do something that stinketh. I'll say, by now he stinketh. So this man that stinketh didn't stinketh any longer. He was raised from the dead. And word got out. So that on this day, this Passover, when Jesus is coming into the city, they begin to see him as he really was. And so they started to say, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know, that comes from Psalm 118, if you want to look it up, Psalm 118. But he said, they said, Hosanna, Hosanna. And literally, the shortest definition of Hosanna is save now or salvation now. So they used to say this just kind of as a ritual, but all of a sudden they begin to see Jesus as the Messiah. And so now as he's entering the city in triumph, coming as a king of peace, they begin to see salvation now. Healing now. Deliverance now. Prosperity now. Life now. And they begin to voice that out. And they begin to lay their coats down, their overcoats, whatever they would have on, whatever, I don't know what that is. They'd lay those down. And then they took the branches, palm branches, would be like to honor a king. So their words and their actions are saying, we're declaring you as king. 
And he's coming into the city in this atmosphere. And then he goes into the temple. And in the temple, he does more miracles, it said. And the children are out there saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, salvation now, salvation now. It's coming now. He's here now. He's here now. Amen. Well, the religious folks are not too pleased about this. And there's not much that makes a religious person more upset than um, something happening that they're, all of their works of self-righteousness hasn't produced in their own life. Well, he can't be the Savior. I've studied my whole life on this. I've, I've given my whole life for this. Do you ever notice that? Sometimes religious people, they'll see someone so blessed... Like all of a sudden, you know what? I was, I was diagnosed with this disease and the Lord healed me and I was set free. And you know what? Then they fired me from my job, but I got a better one. I prayed and the Lord gave me a better one. Yeah. And they're constantly, religion is constantly ready to tell you every reason why it won't work. You understand when I say religion, I'm not talking about being a Christian. I'm talking about a systematic method of doing things, religiousness. So a lot of denominations and even non-denominations get very religious. And so it's just about the traditions and the things that you do. But there is no life in those things because all life comes from Christ. And so that life in Christ or the life that comes from Christ is made real in our lives as we feed upon the word. We feed our spirits with the word of God and we allow the spirit himself to make that word real to us and real in our lives. What does that mean? That means like we allow the Holy Spirit. I was going to shut it, but that illustration will not work if I shut my Bible. Uh, make it so real that you could take a bite out of it. You know, my mouth's not that big. That would be painful. What I mean is tangible, yeah. capable of being touched, perceptible to the touch. So if you are um, trusting the Lord for finances, that the finances show up in your account. So you have the finances that you need. If you're trusting the Lord uh, that your body is whole, from the top to the bottom, from the inside to the outside, from the outside to the inside, every part whole. Yeah. Well, that means that you have something tangible. Mm -hmm. In other words, you go get an ultrasound or you go get a, a CAT scan or whatever you know, the doctors need to show that what you believe is actually reality. So what we believe is so real that it comes and shows up in the natural realm. Actually, the natural world, what you can see, feel, touch, hear, taste, smell, is subject to the supernatural. In other words, the supernatural world dictates what shows up in the natural. Good and bad. Uh, our, our battle is not against people, or as Paul would say, flesh and blood. That is really interesting. Okay, and so, 
But it's against what? Principalities, powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this world. The entrance of the word of God brings light. So if you feed from the words of God, you will have a path that is full of light. And if you have a path full of light, darkness cannot comprehend it. And there's many shades of meaning there. Uh, the religious people of that day were so into building their own righteousness that they had salvation right in front of them and would not acknowledge and would not recognize and would not humble themselves to receive that salvation, Jesus Christ. That's amazing. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. And so the religious rulers of that day started working with the powers of darkness. Remember, Satan actually filled the heart of Judas, and Judas went to the religious rulers to betray Jesus. For what? Money? That's why I love to give and I love to tithe. I mean, for money, that man went to hell. That is sobering. Why? Well, because at the moment, it seemed like the 30 pieces of silver was a little bit more uh, worth more than a relationship with the Messiah. Whew. So your battle is not against other people. Uh, uh, what we see in the natural world is really just... Um, physical evidence of a spiritual reality, right? It's called manifestation in church language, right? It's physical evidence of a spiritual reality. In other words, um, healing is really spiritual. As soon as you receive something in your spirit, it's bound to show up in the natural, I love you, you, you know, if you've been here for any length of time, you know I love A.B. Simpson's uh, testimony of healing where he was a minister, a pastor up in New England and he would preach and after he got done preaching on Sunday that just getting up and ministering uh, the word of God wore him out so much that he said it would take until Wednesday for him to be able to get out of bed to recover enough to start preparing for the next week's message. Well, he went through this long enough. You know, Pastor Mark has a book. He's going to be here in a week and a half or something, but uh, he has a book that they released last year. They didn't intend for it to be a book. I love this because sometimes you don't intend for this to be that way, and those things are ministered to people more than some other things. It's called The New. It's just a little book, and they actually recovered it. Now, it was a pamphlet originally. They recovered it. It's a real nice, soft, squishy-like cover. And um, I don't call it squishy. You can feel it like it has a, a, a texture to it. Anyhow... In there, he goes through the three situations that will cause people to change, where people will actually change, because most people never change. And one of those is because you hurt badly enough that you want to change. So A.B. Simpson hurt badly enough that he wanted to change. So because he hurt badly enough, he said, you know what? I am taking a two-week vacation, 
and I'm going up to my cabin in New England, and I'm going to go through the Word of God, and I'm going to find every single scripture concerning healing of the body. So he studied every scripture concerning healing of the body. And he said, just two weeks of time. He said, after two weeks, I became convinced that healing of the body was as much a part of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ as what we call healing of the soul or salvation of the soul, which is your spirit being born again. And he said, so then he wrote it down. So once he realized that and saw that, he said, I declare this day that, what I just said, all that stuff, and then, because I, I don't have the exact quote here. And he said, and I take Jesus as my healer today just as I have taken him as my Lord. Amen. And then this is my favorite part of his testimony. He said in his little journal, I don't know whether my body felt any different or not. I know I did not care because he, God, had it in his hand. That's called faith. In other words, he in his spirit in the unseen realm, the real him, the real realm, he received healing. And it was just a matter of time before it had no choice. As long as he didn't change his believing and his speaking, there was no choice. But it has to show up in the natural. It has to show up. Because why? The natural is submissive to the supernatural. And the Word of God is the most solid, secure, Steady, you know, Psalm 119. If you want to fall in love with the Word of God, feed on Psalm 119. Psalm 119 says, I, that David said, he said, I have seen an end to the perfection of all things. I mean, this is the king. I have seen an end to the perfection of all things. I mean, he has access to all the wealth, all the riches, all the people, all the relationships. I mean, people want to be David's friend. He even stole someone's wife and thought he could commit like the, the perfect act and have the husband killed and oh, everybody's just going to think like the guy just died, right? In battle. That's a different part of the story. He said, I have seen an end to the perfection of all things, but there is no end to the perfection of your words. Oh, hallelujah. There is no end. In other words, I mean, uh, 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 my natural mind is kind of, or not kind of, very analytical. In fact, I went to Egypt in, uh, what was that, 2011, 13? I don't know, something. Anyhow, right after the revolution, the first initial one. And so um, I went to Egypt, and I used to work in uh, intelligence work here in the D.C. area and in another state as well. And um, <laughs> so I'm in Egypt, and the guy that's coordinating a Bible school there, he's a local guy, and, and, and they, we called him the, uh, 
what the Godfather like the mafia, but he's not. He's a Christian. But just if you want something done, he can get it up for you. <laughs> and so I'm eating dinner across from him, and he kind of like pulls back from the table a little bit, and he's like, "Do you work for the CIA?" <laughs> and I said, uh, "No. Why would you ask that?" He said, "You talk like a spy." You talk like a CIA agent. And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> I might have worked for another intelligence agency. <laughs> what I'm trying to say was uh, my mind was very analytical. And apparently that came across. I don't know how. I just because the questions I asked, he said or something, I questioned him afterwards and made sure I knew where the embassy was and had my passport on hand. <laughs> This was a time of the revolution, right? You didn't want to go to Tahrir Square, and it was like not, anyhow, it was, it was a little volatile. Volatile? How do you say that, volatile? And so, uh, you know, my natural mind, apart from the Lord, was, you know, uh, very analytical. And so sometimes that can trip you up. But man, you, you see like the things of the spirit, the real realm, will change the things of the natural realm. So that your natural mind, if it has not been changed by the word of God, will go tilt. Like, I couldn't figure that out. In fact, I figured that out, and it was not supposed to be that way. <laughs> yeah. 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 Why? Well, because I, the, the doctor said this, and everyone else that's ever had this said this. So it had to be this way. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 in 21, my son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, your spirit. Keep my words in the midst of your heart. Let them be before your eyes. Why? Well, it, you can really identify how you're doing with trust in the Lord by what you're seeing. You can identify how you're doing your relationship with the Lord, your fellowship, we would call it, by what you're seeing. Well, they're out to get me. Oh, everybody's just trying to hurt me. Everybody's just trying to do this. People are all bad. What was it? B.B. Hankins, I think, said, you can tell how you're getting along with the Lord by how people are looking to you. <laughs> because the heart of God loves people. And God himself, faith sees the best and believes the best because faith works by love and love believes the best and sees the best. No matter how many times you fail or the person you're thinking of fails, Love will always see the best. Well, even if you have to say, you know what? They have failed so many times, I don't think they can possibly fail again. They've got to just by chance <laughs> succeed. <laughs> just by longevity. <laughs> there was a man, in, uh, he was in World War I. And so when Brother Hagen was a really young man, Kenneth Hagen, he... Um, I grew up in this town where this guy was, and this guy was like, I guess today we'd call him PTSD, and uh, just really adversely affected by the war. 
and uh, the bombs and everything that he experienced and saw. And um, so he was kind of like the crazy guy in town. And uh, he would kind of go into these fits and he would uh, get a knife and try to hurt people. And he would hurt people sometimes. And so the only guy who could handle him in town was the local sheriff and a police officer there. And um, one of these times he went to uh, uh, help somebody out because he'd gotten drunk again and kind of went crazy. And uh, the, the guy from World War I told him, he said, oh, one of us is going to die because uh, I'm not going through this again. Because they'd basically throw him in jail until he sobered up and then help him out. And then, then he'd go on. And the community kind of had compassion for him but were afraid of him. And so, uh, surely enough, this time, uh, the police officer had, it was either him or the police officer was going to die. And so that guy ended up dying because he came at him with a knife. And after he died, Brother Higgins said, oh, everybody was talking about him. Like, oh, I'm so glad he's gone. Man, he was such a mess. And how, you know, uh, that, that was just so dangerous. He never should have been allowed to be out that much and everything. And he said there was one man who actually was a free Methodist man. Mr. Smith was his name. And all the people are standing around talking about this. And he spoke up and he said, you know what? He had pretty eyes. He had pretty eyes. He found something good to say about this man even after all this. Well, why does that connect it? Well, that's connected because uh, about 15 years later, after Kenneth Hagin was around traveling and stuff, he came back to his hometown. Mr. Smith was there. He was about 90 at that time. He still had all his teeth. Had all his hair. He said, you can ask my wife. I'm as much a man sexually as I was at 23. So in other words, he's not really degrading. He's doing pretty good. And uh, he, so he was talking to Kenneth Hagin. He started to walk away. And then he turned around and he said, oh, he said, one other thing. He said, he said when I was... Uh, Young, he said, the Lord, uh, I was in a service and somebody came and ministered on healing. And the essence of their message was, just like you've taken Jesus as your Lord, you can come today and receive him as your healer. So I invite you to come right now and receive him as your healer. And so this man who was 90, but when he was younger, I think he was in his 40s, he came down and he received Jesus as his healer. So he told Kenneth Hagin that, and he turned around, I call him Brother Hagin or Dad Hagin, but you know. Turned around, started to walk away, and he said, oh, he said, one other thing. I learned to keep this. He said, I learned to keep this, and he grabbed his tongue. Uh, Let he that would love life and see many days keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. This is the man that would only say about the other man, he had pretty eyes. A man that would, was easy to criticize, easy to jump in the boat with, but he had pretty eyes. Amazing. Yeah. Well, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Yes. And your tongue directs the whole course of your life. And it is, you know, if you go away from this service today and you decide, I'm going to keep my tongue, well, just expect there's challenges right around the corner. It's a, Jesus said this is the parable to beat all parables. That's my paraphrase, right? Is the parable of the sower. Well, what happens when the word is sown into your heart? Well, the enemy, unseen, 
He'll come and try to steal that word that has been sown. Well, he doesn't show up with pitchfork and horns. God uses people. The devil uses people. And so I, I encourage you. I endeavor in my life to keep my tongue. I'm not perfect at it. But I tell you what, the second you realize you're uh, not, you, you come right back. Well, you can develop in these things. Yeah. You know, if you see, if you, one of the greatest uh, ways to fail is to actually see where you're making a mistake and missing it and just give up. Mm. You really don't fail until you give up. Yeah. You just found a way that it doesn't work. Right? Was that yeah. Thomas Edison when he was inventing the light bulb? He said, I know, uh, are you sad because you failed like a thousand times? He said, no, I just found a thousand ways that it will not work. Yeah. <laughs> That's called like we having the same spirit of faith. Yeah. Yes, amen. Pastor Mark was preaching down in Texas or Louisiana and a, a guy said, man, that preaching like that, he said, it makes me want to grab a cornstalk, swing out over hell and spit in the devil's eye. <laughs> That's called an act of faith. Yeah. Woo. Why? Because you got the word of God. Yes. Natural, thinking natural, your own, your own mind thinking natural thoughts. Other people's minds reasoning out natural things will say that will never work. But you can be confident beyond confidence because now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Hallelujah. So Jesus is coming in, and they're saying salvation now, healing. They are declaring yes, salvation now, healing now, deliverance now. And they didn't understand the cost of it, but Jesus had a glimpse of the cost. Because then when he got into the garden, he shed, as it were, great drops of blood. You get acquainted with God and with his word. Other people might not understand everything that's involved. They might just think, oh, wow, it's amazing what God is doing in your life. But they don't see the sacrifice. They don't see that you are like uh, giving up other things to fellowship with the Lord, to learn from God and to walk with him. And it may temporary things at the moment may be appealing. But when you actually see with the clarity that only God can give, you see that those things are um, I don't know the word. What's that word, Lord? I was saying tongues. The value of those things is nothing in comparison to the true riches. James chapter 1, right? Talk about the count it all joy when tests and trials come that because the testing of your faith produces you know, patience, uh, perseverance, character, hope. Hope makes not ashamed. And then he said, I'm going to have to read it real quick. And then that'll be closed. James chapter 1, I think it's verse like 20-something. Oh, yeah. Verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. When patience has her perfect work in you, the allure of the things of the world 
what, what, there's even a song that kind of reflects this, this same scripture. Uh, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. That's what they were doing when he was coming into the city. They had turned and looked at the author and the finisher of their faith. And when they looked at Jesus, just like when Peter was walking on the water and his focus was on Jesus, man, he walked on the water. When those that weren't even born again, they looked at him coming into the city and they're like, whoa, that's salvation right now. That's my deliverance right now. That's my healing right now. That's my victory right now. So we look to Jesus today. Stand with me if you would the author and the finisher of our faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I don't want us to go away. If there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're not talking about religion. We're not talking about conversion. We are talking about a brand new life that happens to you on the inside that you actually become someone brand new. If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, He died on that cross for you. He paid the price for you. He sacrificed for you. He loves you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Him and you'd like to, just slip up your hand and in just an, a, an instant of time, you'll actually be taken out of darkness and put into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of, of the Son of God. If that's you, slip up your hand. Slip up your hand. If you're watching online, email us, info at anchordc.org. If you're here this morning and you uh, were walking with the Lord, but man, you, get, you uh, just got so busy and distractions came in and you actually uh, would say that you're like the prodigal. You're in a backslidden state. You decided just to try out the things that the world has to offer for a while and you'd like to come back, come back to Jesus. If that's you, slip up your hand. We want to pray with you and for you. God loves you so much. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. The power of his love and the power of his blood will just wipe out your past. And thirdly, if you're here this morning and you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, once you're born again, Jesus said, wait until you be filled or endued with power from on high. There, there is something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, man, I was born again for like 19 years before I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I, and, I, and I had a great relationship with the Lord. But when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, I got so much more light, so much more understanding. I began to... Uh, Change again and again and again. If you're here and you'd like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, slip up your hand. We'll pray with you and for you. Hallelujah. And finally, if you need healing in your body and you'd like us to lay hands on you uh, and just command your body to manifest the Word, if you'd like uh, hands laid on you for, for healing, then I invite you to slip up your hand. We'll pray with you and for you. Come on down. Come on down if you'd like hands laid on you.